Well, welcome everybody to the last week of prayer here at Cedar. What that does not sound good. Hopefully, it's not the last week of prayer for our church. That would be really bad. But it is the last week of this 21-day prayer journey that we've been on. And I'm really hoping as this journey of prayer comes to an end, that it'll, it'll actually just be the beginning of a prayer revival, a renewal of prayer in our church and in our individual lives. Because as I've said throughout this journey, the goal of this prayer emphasis has been to help all of us take a next step in developing a long-term prayer lifestyle, right? That prayer just becomes a, a consistent and integral part of every part of our lives, that prayer just becomes like breathing. It's just what we do, and in doing it, we find life. And so to kind of help us do that, we've been walking line by line through the Lord's Prayer, this incredible model prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples in Luke chapter 11, and that he also taught to the masses in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6. And walking through this Lord's Prayer, this model prayer, we've discovered not only some great truths about prayer, but we've also discovered some practical tools to help us pray. Like we, we uncovered the fact that, that prayer is about an intimate connection with God. When Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He wanted us to understand that when we pray, we're not crying out to some cosmic distant force in the universe out there. That we're not having to beg for scraps from some angry, unpleasable tyrant. That we are connecting with our Abba, Father, our Daddy, our Papa, who just so happens to be the God of the universe, whose name is worthy of praise. And we get to come boldly to Him. We also discovered that prayer is about surrendering, right? Like most of the time, we, we pray to try to bend God's will to our desires. But in truth, prayer is about surrendering our will to God's will and to his kingdom. We also discovered that, that prayer is about provision, right? That we can depend on God as the source of every need we have. Not just a few crumbs of bread to eat every day, but he meets every one of our needs. He's willing and he's able and we can trust him. And then, of course, last week we discovered that prayer is the pathway to freedom, Right Through confession, receiving God's forgiveness for our sins and being able to actually forgive the people who sin against us, it frees us from the guilt and resentment and bitterness that keeps us from living the life that God has called us to. Now today we're going to wrap things up by discovering that prayer is protective. Prayer is protective. Through prayer, we experience God's protection from temptation and from evil. And we see that in the final line of the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, 13. Jesus said, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, somebody said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Philip. What do you mean that's the last line of the Lord's Prayer? 
Right? What about that? Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. What about that? Isn't that the last line of the Lord's Prayer? Well, yes and no. Actually, when Jesus taught this prayer to his disciples, and when he taught it as a part of the Sermon on the Mount, he ended the prayer with this line. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Amen. That's how Jesus ended it. That's why those of you who maybe grew up in the Catholic Church, when you say the Our Father, you end the prayer right there. And you say, well, where did this other line come from? Where did this power, kingdom, glory thing came, come from? Because if you read the Lord's Prayer in Matthew and Luke, you'll see that's where it ends in most English translations. Some English translations will include that last little part about kingdom, power, and glory, but it will be footnoted and say that those words are not found in the earliest manuscript. You go, wait a minute, I've been lied to. I thought this is what Jesus taught us to pray. Well, here's what happened. Very early in the life of the church, shortly after Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven, as small groups of believers begin to gather in homes for corporate worship, as they begin to gather in the temple courts to worship together, of course, they prayed this model prayer, right? They had heard it from the disciples, and, and so they, you know, they knew kind of this is how they were supposed to pray. And so what they did, some of the very early church fathers just added this doxology of praise to the end of the prayer. It was sort of like a pray the prayer and then expressing praise and glory and honor to God for being able to pray. So that's where that came from. So it's okay to pray it. It's okay if you don't want to pray it. It's biblically accurate. It's in line with Scripture, but it was just not part of the original prayer. So, but don't let that mess you up. Don't let that fool you. It's just a, an expression of praise, which makes sense, right? You got a group of Christians praying together. They get to the end of this great model prayer, and they just say, it's yours, God. It's all about you. We worship you. But as we pack, walk, unpack this line, this um, Last line that Jesus taught directly. A couple things I want you to be aware of. One, this is not a magic incantation that will cause God to wrap you in bubble wrap so that you never have to deal with temptation or get messed up by the evil in the world. Right? In fact, Jesus said, pray, ask God, lead us not into temptation. Question, do you think God leads people into temptation? That's kind of what it seems like. You're saying, God, don't lead me into temptation. But the Bible is clear. God is not tempted, and he does not tempt anyone. James says temptations come from the desire within us and the evil one in this world. So why would we pray, lead us not into temptation, if God doesn't lead us into temptation? Jesus wants us to understand that we're asking God to help us to not lead ourselves into temptation. Second thing I want you to know is that temptation and evil are not two separate things. It's not like, God, help me with the little temptations I deal with, but then over here, God, you, you got to deliver us from this huge evil in the world. Temptation and evil are two sides of the same coin. We think these little temptations, these little struggles we have are no big deal, but here's the thing. Evil is evil. And if you keep going down that road long enough, it becomes a big evil. And so this is, this is all one thing. This is about God's protection. 
seeking it, and doing the things we need to do to receive that protection. That's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, who learned how to pray from the disciples, who were taught how to pray by Jesus, Paul kind of puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. What does that mean? It means we all deal with it. It's common issue. You're not the only one who struggles with temptation. It also means you will never outgrow temptation this side of heaven, right? You're never going to reach some level of spiritual maturity that you're not going to struggle, right? Now, over time, the things that tempt you may change. Like, I'm tempted now by very different things than I was tempted by when I was 20 years old. But we always struggle with it. That's bad news. Maybe that's discouraging. But listen, Paul says, here's the good news. Look at the rest of the verse. He says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. What does that mean? That means you can't say, well, I couldn't help it. It was more than I could take, right? Now, I understand some people have taken that part of this verse and kind of spun it around and come up with this idea that God will never put more on you than you can bear. But that's not what this verse says. It says that's true about temptation, but it doesn't say that that's true about trials and tribulations and struggles. God and life will always eventually put more on you than you can bear. It's the whole reason we need him. It's the whole reason we have to be dependent on him. But that's not true of temptation. And then look what Paul goes on to say. But when you are tempted, he, talking about God, will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And it's that way out that I want us to focus on. What is this way? What is this path God gives us to overcome the temptation and the evil around us? Six steps on the path to escape. There are six of these, so settle in. We're going to be here in about two and a half hours. No, I'm just kidding. I'll talk fast. You listen fast. Six steps on the path to escaping temptation and evil. You ready? Number one, I have to identify what makes me vulnerable. Identify what makes me vulnerable. Notice I didn't say identify what tempts me. We all know what tempts us. The question is, why are we tempted that by that specific thing? What is it about me in my life? What makes me weak for that temptation? What is it that makes me susceptible to that specific temptation? We've got to dig a little deeper Get a little closer to the root cause. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 26 to his disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, Jesus said, look, it's not enough just to pray. You also got to watch. I have to watch my thoughts, watch my emotions, watch my circumstances. Watch the people I allow to influence my life. Because all of those things are potential triggers for your specific temptations. See, it's more than just knowing what tempts you. You need to know the when, where, how, and what is it about that that tempts you. Right? Are there certain times of the day that you're more tempted than others? 
Right? Is it maybe late in the afternoon when you're tired? Or is it late at night when you're at home and everybody else has gone to bed? Is that the win of your temptation? Or is, what about the where? Are there certain places, right, that you're at? Certain environments, work, the bar, uh, your, ne- some, your neighbor's house, wherever it is. Where are you most often tempted? Ask yourself the who. Who is it that you're around that every time you're around them or that group of you're struggling? Ask yourself the what question. What is it about that temptation that I think is going to benefit me? Right? What is going to give me? Why do I do that? What do I think I'm going to get out of that? Ask yourself the how question. How do I feel when I am tempted? Am I bored? Am I lonely? Do I feel isolated? Do I feel discouraged? What, what are the emotion, the emotional state that causes you? So, so I think the more you can identify your vulnerabilities to your temptations, the greater your chances are to avoiding those temptations. Understand what makes you vulnerable. And then number two, the second step, have a plan. Have a plan. It's not enough just to know your triggers. You need to make a plan to avoid those triggers. That's why Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote these words in Proverbs 4. Plan carefully what you do, and whatever you do will turn out right. If you have a plan, avoid evil and walk straight ahead. Don't go one step off the right way. Have a plan. I have a pastor friend of mine who before he became a pastor, he was a youth pastor. He worked for like 10 or 12 years working with students. And he used to tell them, about, particularly the high school students who were starting to date, plan your dates. Have a plan for the evening. Like we're going to go to the movie, we're going to go to dinner, and we're going to be home by this time. Have a plan out the whole evening. Because if you don't, it's like, oh, what are we going to do? I don't know. You're going to end up in the back seat of the car if you don't have a plan. He put it this way. You can be led by your plans or your glands. You choose, right? Right? Plans typically lead you in a better direction. Glands, not so much. See, here's the thing, and you've heard me say this hundreds of times. Temptation is trying to fulfill legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Right? We all have these God-given desires. We all have a God-given desire for physical intimacy with another human being. We all have a God-given desire to be valued, to feel loved, to feel like we matter. We all have a God-given desire to make a difference, right? to leave an impact. That's the desires. Read James chapter 1. We have these great God-given desires. The problem is we try to fulfill them, meet those needs, in non-God-honoring ways, illegitimate ways, right? The, the, the problem is not that you want to be intimate with another person. The problem is not that you really want your life to matter. The problem is not that you desperately want somebody to love and care about you. The problem comes when you try to fulfill those needs in the wrong way, at the wrong time, in the wrong amounts, and for the wrong motives. And if you can recognize those desires, then you can make a plan to avoid the people, the circumstances, and the places that tempt you. 
Know what makes you vulnerable. Create an intentional plan to stay away from that cliff. Move your guardrails way back. And then number three, and this is huge, guard my heart. Guard my heart. Because temptation is not just about what's going on around you. It's ultimately about what's happening inside you. Right? Temptations are not just driven by the people and circumstances and physical condition of my life. They're often driven more by my heart. And I'm not talking about the muscle that pumps blood. I'm talking about my emotions and my mental state. That's why, again, Solomon, wisest man ever, Proverbs 4. He says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Think about that for a minute. Everything flows out of your heart. Your mental and emotional condition, right? Jesus said that's what, whatever comes out of your mouth is really what's in your heart. Your heart, your emotional state, your mental state matters. So let's do a little heart check. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to get you to stand up and tell us how your heart is today. Let's do it this way. I want you to just imagine the front of this stage is sort of a scale, right? It's a scale, all right? And down on this end, this is the positive end. This is the, the tank is full. This is good, right? Good positive emotions, good positive mental state. Then down on this end, this is the negative, right? This is the negative emotions, negative mental state. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of emotions, emotional states, and I want you to kind of place yourself, just in your mind, put yourself on this scale. Is your tank more than half full, half empty? So let's start with encouragement, right? What is your level of encouragement right now, today, right now? Are you, kind of, are you encouraged or a little bit encouraged? Are you super encouraged right now? You know, things are good. You're in a good place. You're excited about the future. Are you maybe more over here? Are you struggling with more discouragement? Do you, do you just feel discouraged? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, no matter what I try, it just doesn't work out. Where are you? Put yourself mentally on this stage. By the way, nobody's perfectly balanced. You cannot choose the middle. We all lean one way or the other. All right, you got yourself marked in encouragement? All right, let's talk about connectedness. How do you feel? What level of connectedness to others do you feel? Do you feel really super connected? Like, you know, the people know you, they care about you, you can talk, you got somebody to talk to, people know what you're going through, or do you feel disconnected? Do you feel isolated and lonely, like nobody knows, and if they did, they wouldn't care anyway? All right, where are you in connectedness? Where would you put yourself? All right, let me give you one more. Contentment. What is your emotional level of contentment right now? Are you pretty content? You know, you kind of things are pretty good. I feel pretty content. I like kind of where I am. Are you down here? Or do you feel kind of discontent? Like you don't have what you want. You're not where you thought you would be. Or every time you look at somebody else's Facebook or Instagram, you're just overwhelmed by what you don't have, how great their life is and what's missing in yours. Put yourself up here in contentment. All right? Now, here's what I want you to do. Those, the sum total of those three, did you find yourself more over here? Or did you find yourself maybe more over here? Right? Or 
if you're honest, were you really carrying a lot of negative emotions? Where are you? And then second question, how long have you felt that way? How long have you felt that way? Because, you know, you can be on, this scale moves day to day, moment to moment, right? But I'm talking about over time. Have you been down here for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years? Here's why this is so important. Because the longer you carry negative emotions, the more vulnerable you become to the enemy. You get down here long enough and carry this stuff long enough, all of a sudden there'll be a voice whispering in your ear, you deserve some relief. You deserve, all this you're going through, you deserve to go after this, to have this, to try to scratch this itch. Let me tell you something, that ain't God's voice. That is the voice of our enemy, right? You know, the, the Bible says, don't give the devil a stronghold in your life. What is that? What is it? You know what a stronghold is? It's a mindset. It's an emotional set. And see, the longer you carry these negative emotions, the longer you wait to get help and deal with them, the longer you raise, before you actually raise your hand and say, somebody help me, reach out to the home group, reach out to our care. The longer you carry this, the stronger stronghold you are giving your enemy. Right? You got to guard your heart. And then number four, just pray for deliverance. Pray for deliverance. Ask God to help you. That's what Jesus meant when he said, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But look, it doesn't have to be some formal, oh, gracious heavenly Father, please leadeth me not into temptation, delivereth me. No, sometimes the best prayer of deliverance is, help me, Jesus. You got to help me. I'm about to go into this meeting at work. I'm about to deal with this family member. I'm about to start that long drive home from work right, right past that bar. I'm about to get home at the end of the day exhausted, and there's that brown liquid courage sitting on the counter, and that one drink's going to turn to two, or I'm, I'm going to be drawn to that coworker or that neighbor, and I know, man, God, you've got to help me. You know, remember I've said throughout this, this, the Lord's Prayer is not some formal religious saying for us to quote. It's a framework for how to pray. Ask God to help. Pray, deliver me, Lord. In fact, look at what Psalms 50, written by David, who knew a thing or two about caving into temptation. But look at what he says. He says, God says this, call on me, in the day of trouble. That's God saying, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Pray for deliverance. And then step number five, turn my attention elsewhere. Turn my attention elsewhere. Here's what I mean by that. Stop trying to resist the temptation and just choose to refocus your mind. Because the more you try to resist the temptation, the more you're focusing on that temptation. And the more you focus on that temptation, the more you're drawn to that temptation. Just think about something else. It's kind of last week, right? You remember we were talking about repentance? 
that repentance is not just turning away from the bad, but it's about turning to the better, right? Turning away from my mess, my pigsty, my failures, my shame, and turning to God's grace. Same thing with temptation. Stop fighting against it and just change your mindset. Because all temptation is a mind game. All temptation is a mind game. And there is a pattern that temptation always follows. Three words, write these down. Attention, arousal, action. That's the pattern. Attention, something shiny. Hey, what is that? That looks kind of good over there. Gets your attention, your mind, your thoughts. Then the emotions kick in, arousal. Hey, that might be nice. I deserve that. I think that would really fill this need that I have. And then action. You make the choice. You click on the link. You stay after work with that coworker. You pull off the street and you're in the bar. Right? Your attention, arousal, action. You have to break that pattern. And you have to start with the thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5, look at what it says. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to our incredible willpower and ability to resist. Is that what it says? No, we take it captive where? To who? Obedient to Christ. Let me give you a visual demonstration. Since I'm in a visual demonstration mode, I want to show you something about this changing your thoughts, refocus your thoughts. And I'm going to ask Ben, our worship director here at Banks Mill. Ben, come on out here. Give him a hand, people. So, thank you, Ben. Sorry to pull you out of the green room. Anyway, so obviously Ben is bigger than me, stronger than me, younger than me, and way more handsome than I am, right? Since he's bigger and stronger, he's going to play the part of temptation, right? He's the bad. Boo, hiss, boo. Now, I'm going to play the part of us, right, trying to deal with temptation. Now, when the boys were little and the girls, we used to play this game called the balance game. So the goal is you got to kind of get face by face, and you can only touch palms of hands, right? And the goal is to try to knock the other person off balance, right? So... And we'll count it down. You ready? Three, two, one. Ah. Can't win, right? Bigger, stronger. Now, let me change strategies. That was luck. He got me. He's lucky. All right, ready? Three, two, one. Just walk away. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Uh. I mean, I get it. I know that's cheesy. Can only get my own children to come up here and do stuff that nobody else would do. But anyway, what I hope that does is it sticks in your mind. That visually, when you're fighting, you're fighting, fight, just walk away. Change. Refocus your mind. Turn your attention elsewhere. And then finally, the sixth and maybe the most important step, the path to escape, get connected to a few others. Get connected to a few others. We have seen throughout this series on prayer that prayer is not a solo sport. 
Have you noticed that when Jesus gave us the model to pray, every pronoun he used in that prayer was plural? He said, when you pray, say, our Father. Not my Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Do you see? It's about connecting with others. We are meant to pray with others, for others, and to have others pray for us. That's the power of prayer. I mean, yes, you can and you should pray privately. You should have a dynamic prayer relationship in a prayer closet somewhere in your house. Yes, you should and could and ought to pray privately, but we need to be connected to others in prayer to experience the full power of prayer in our lives. That's why, again, Solomon, wisest man ever, look at what he writes in Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, falls into temptation, falls into sin, one can help the other up. And though one may be easily overpowered, two can defend themselves. And so I want to share with you a picture of that verse in action in the lives of very real people dealing with some very real circumstances. I don't know where you're at in the home group commitment, but I can tell you those are the people that show up time and time again. The day before surgery, um, one of my friends had asked if he could invite some people over to lay hands on us and pray for us. So I said, sure. I said, I'd like to do it in the driveway because I don't really want to be in a confined space with a bunch of folks the day before surgery. You know, I need to be as healthy as I can be. He said, no problem. And uh, so that Sunday afternoon came and it's pouring down rain. So we're not out in the driveway, we're in the house, and uh, 35 people showed up. Um, people that we have done life with for 20 years, all people that we were connected to through home group except for four of them which were immediate family. The prayers were so honest, so real. There were some people just absolutely mad at God that something like this could be happening to their friend Don. There were people who just wanted God's grace and healing and his mercy. There were folks that were just confident that um, we were going to use this to glorify God in the kingdom no matter what. And so um, little did we know what God had in store. So I got my chemo started, and on our way out, on December 21st, uh, we uh, had to meet with him on the way out with uh, the oncologist. And he came into our, into our room, and he said, I have good news, and I have great news for you, Don. He said, the good news is the DNA testing shows that you're not a carrier. Your children are not going to have to be predestined to this and lots of extra tests. He said, the great news is those tumors that are on your CT scan in your liver, they're not cancerous as confirmed by both the MRI and the needle biopsy. And we wept. God had just given me a new lease on life. Now look, I want to encourage you sometime this week, go online, watch the whole story. 
Because there's so much more. to. If not, you're going to just get this idea that Don just happened to get the right people in the room and prayed and boom, no more cancer. That's not the story. He still has cancer. He has his third chemo treatment on Tuesday. He's still struggling. He's still got pain. He's just not walking it alone. And the power of God is seen and God is getting glory, no matter what the outcome is, because prayer is not about outcome. In Jesus, our outcome has been determined forever, right? Prayer is not about outcome. Prayer is about glorifying God, people seeing his power and his strength in our brokenness and struggles. So can I just, I love you. Can I just be gut level real with you? What are you waiting on? What do you, how long will you let pride and your belief that you can handle life, how long will that keep you from reaching out and connecting with a home group? How long, how long are you going to let those emotions, that, how long are you going to live isolated? Right? How long, what's it going to take for you to raise your hand and say, I need help? To tell somebody in your home group or call our care and counseling and go, I can't do this. I need help. How long are you going to let the enemy keep destroying your life, your health, your family? How long? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And I am hoping and praying like crazy that today will be the day that you finally take that next step. We're going to close this time as we've done every week in this series. We're going to pray this model prayer together as a church family. But we're going to spend some time sitting and soaking in these truths as we pray. So pray with me as our Savior taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you just sit with your father right now, right where you are? Just sit in his presence. Hallow his name. Let's pray this next part together. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Do that right now. Release it. Confess it. Give it to Him.
Now let's pray this truth we looked at just today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He's shown you the path. Ask him to give you the strength to walk that path to escape. Right now, just ask him. Ask him to deliver you. Ask him to show you the next step on your path to escape. Let's pray this doxology of praise together. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.